soul. We believe you are God and in control. Welcome to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Bram, a ministry of Worship Generation Church located in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, please visit us at www.worshipgeneration.com. We believe in the power of the gospel. We believe you can transform every soul. We believe you're the Savior. Now let's join Pastor Joey as we study through the Bible. Let the nations be glad, all his saints rejoice. As we come to Leviticus chapter 26 and our final topical study in the book of Leviticus, this is that handbook that God gave the nation of Israel to better understand his law and how it applies to their personal lives, their civil interactions with their neighbors, and the religious practices of how God was revealing himself at that time to them as a nation in a covenant and how he was to be worshipped by them. We come to this chapter 26 where there are promises of blessing and retribution. Now, the Bible is filled with promises of blessings and retribution. The tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is a promise from God to our, the head of our race, Adam and Eve, the heads, that there are blessings for obedience at the tree of life, but there's retribution for partaking of the tree of knowledge of good and evil and the consequence of death. And even so, all throughout the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, even to the final chapters of Revelation, we're just told who is in the new heaven and the earth based upon obedience and and fruit and who is not based upon the consequences of rebellion to God. So there's a consistency that we see with God's character. Of course, we see it with just in every generation, whether it was progressive revelation with the different covenants from Adam to Noah to Abraham, to Moses, the nation of Israel, and to us now with the everlasting covenant in Jesus Christ, there are promises of blessing for the right decisions in obeying the Lord, and there are promises of retribution for rebellion and disobedience to the Lord. Now, in the context of Israel, of course, they were a people group, an ethnic people group, in a covenant with God as a nation that were being given a land promised them by God as a nation. So it's very unique in that sense that no one's had that, and probably the closest thing to that would really be the United States of America. God didn't make a biblical covenant with us, but our founding fathers made pretty similar type of agreement with the Lord at the Continental Congress that these guys made at Sinai. But don't confuse the two because they are two completely different things. But the principles of like how a nation can be blessed, because God does give principles for a nation, the principles of how a marriage and a family can be blessed, and the principles of how an individual can be blessed all through faith in Jesus Christ and how those things carry through. For a person, their loving relationships, their home, a community, and a nation. So keep that context for Israel. So we pick it up in verse 3 of chapter 26 of Leviticus. And we're going to focus on the good promises tonight. We, we looked at the difficult promises Tuesday night. And even the safety net of confession and humility to be restored. But tonight we're going to focus on these first uh, verses 3 through 13. God says this. If you walk in my statutes and keep my commandments and perform them, then I will give you rain in its season. The land shall yield its produce, and the trees of the field shall yield their fruit. Your threshing shall be till the time of vintage, and the vintage shall be till the time of sowing. You shall eat your bread to the full and dwell in your land safely. I will give peace in the land. I will give peace in the land, and you shall lie down 
and none will make you afraid. I will rid the land of wild, evil beasts, and the sword will not go through your land. You will chase your enemies, and they shall fall by the sword before you. Five of you shall chase a hundred, and a hundred of you shall put ten thousand to flight. Your enemies shall fall by the sword before you. For I will look on you favorably and make you fruitful, multiply you, and confirm my covenant with you. You shall eat the old harvest and clear out the old because of the new. I will set my tabernacle among you, and my soul shall not abhor you. I will walk among you and be your God, and you shall be my people. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, that you should not be their slaves. I have broken the bands of your yoke and made you walk upright. In fact, that is, of course, exactly what God did do for the children of Israel. He had had his hand on them from the time he called Abraham out of Ur the Chaldeans. The subsequent generations from Abraham to Isaac, Jacob. Jacob has the 12 sons. The nation of Israel, they go into Egypt during the famine. 400 years later, they've come out and they're here at Mount Sinai. And so contextually, this God initiated the covenant and God initiated the guidelines of the covenant and he invited them to be a part of the covenant. We saw that in chapter 19 of Exodus and they agreed to the covenant like they wanted to be a part of the covenant and they agreed to it and he had promised to do all these things and even now and we go forward in numbers we're going to see he's promising to give them the land all the blessings and everything and what they need to do is what all subsequent previous generations did who were justified before the Lord they needed to believe him they needed to believe in who he is in his word his character his promises his blessings and his character of justice of of love and righteousness and his character of justice and dealing with evil and sin because god is love and love gives a choice to us and love will not allow injustice so we get to experience love this side of eternity and we get to experience some justice this side of eternity but in the end game in eternity in the everlasting kingdom there's perfect love and there's perfect justice and all things are made straight and right before him to whom we must give an account. But in the timeline of life, in time, space, and matter, and in the various covenants of dispensations where God has worked with different people, there's choices, but they're always going to be saved by faith. Abraham was justified by faith. Noah was justified by faith. Abel was justified by faith. Hebrews tells us that in the New Testament. And they were going to be justified by faith. So even though this covenant says, if you do these things, I will do this for you. It's still all by faith. So don't confuse this covenant with that. They're doing good works to go to heaven. They still are justified by faith in who God is, what he's promised, and letting him work in and through their lives on an individual basis as a nation of Israel, as Israelites, in a national covenant, but with personal choices and decisions of faith. That's why in the book of Hebrews, you have the people of faith from the nation of Israel also in chapter 11 after they came into the land. Even Rahab the harlot, who was an Israelite, is in there as well. So the principle of faith is always there. This is important because we don't want to lose the faith element when we think about obedience. And we're saved by faith. We're justified by faith when we give our life to Christ and we're given that positional righteousness. And then by faith, we live the life that God has for us to live that produces the character of Christ in obedience to his personal calling on our lives that only we can do, which we talked about with Aaron. You know, change the showbread, light the altar, you know, the lampstand, that was his task. So it's God who wills and works in us for his good pleasure, and we are his workmanship. So we're saved by grace, and we're his workmanship, created before things that we should walk in them and fulfill them. So we're each 
a unique work of art for God now in the church age, even as each of these individual Israelites, men and women, were in this covenant. So we want to keep that frame. We want to keep that framework of faith, grace, obedience, God's character, and all that. But contextually with Israel, there really is a very absolute, you make good decisions, good things are going to happen for you nationally. Now, we get that personally, right? If you sow to the spirit, you reap life. If you sow to the flesh, you reap corruption. That's an individual thing that the New Testament tells us in the book of Galatians to the Apostle Paul. But they were national. And again, I mentioned this earlier, decisions affect the community. If the community leaders want a godly influence in their community, it benefits the community. The city rejoices when the righteous reign, we're told in Proverbs. But if the people don't want that, you can have an evil city, and it allows a lot of evil. And if you remove law and order and you encourage disorder, then you get the consequences of more crime, more murder, more fear, and more heartache and sorrow, which we're seeing in our country right now with politicians and leaders who don't want to be governed by God. So really what this comes together here is, in fact, to be governed by God. A nation, families, individuals, to be governed by God. And the beauty of God's government is if we let God govern us, we need very little government from man. That's the key. See, if God's word and his spirit govern us, we're going to be the ideal citizens for any society. We're going to bring Jesus to that society, and he's the perfect citizen. So the more we're governed and subject to the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the better it is for us, the people we love and care about, our character, our eternal purposes, and the better it is for a community and a nation. And the more people that are governed by God personally, the better it is for a community, a home, and a nation. So the real thought here is being governed by God and subject to his laws, because he said in verse 3, if you walk in my statutes, if you keep my commandments and you perform them, and blesses the nation whose God is the Lord, and if my people are called by my name, will repent from their evil ways, I will heal their land. So an individual, a family, a community, a nation that rejects God's government, they're not going to be protected and blessed by him. But an individual, a family, a community, and a nation that chooses to be under his government, that guides their government, they are going to be blessed by them. And historically, when you look at European kings during the medieval times and all that, the kings that were good kings were generally kings and queens who loved the Lord, feared the Lord, often worked with their state churches, whether they're Prussian or Russian or Swedish or English or French, whatever. It's generally speaking, when you study European history, the good kings were God-fearing kings, and they brought blessings to the people. So there's nothing new under the sun. So here we are weighed in the balances for such a time as this as a nation, and our thoughts are really on the nation, but the beauty of today's events with Franklin Graham is that when it was all said and done, it brought it back to the individual. It brought it back to the individual. And Graham Motz's prayer brought it back to the individual. And so tonight, what I want to talk about in this context, from Israel as a nation, even our history as a nation, and where we're at right now, because people are crying out for repentance for how we've been as a nation and the evil laws we've allowed in our communities, in our states, and in our country. And we're praying and we're crying out for mercy that we truly repent and godly people would come to power and reverse these things and put us in the place where the blessings are, the promises of blessings, not the promises of retribution. Because we're looking hard at retribution right now and we're trying to shift to promises of blessings. But regardless of what goes on around us, as I've said for years, 
we can choose blessings and we can walk in those blessings if the apocalypse is unfolding around us. Because what God promises them nationally, he promises us to individually. And if a nation chooses to make good choices, good for them. But if you make good choices, good for you. And that's really the bigger picture here for us individually and as a church. So if we personally choose to walk in God's word, his statutes, his standards, if we personally choose to keep his commandments as revealed in his word, the principles of the Old Testament, the applications of the New Testament, I mean, do not murder, do not lie, do not steal. They're they're all in play in the New Testament, right? Do not covet, it's all in play. So we choose to keep those commandments in our our worldview, our decision-making processes of right and wrong, because we all have a moral compass. And if we let God's word be the moral compass, let God be true and every man a liar, then we're going to walk in that direction of the compass, the statutes of his word. Psalm 119 really lays this out in the Old Testament. We're going to keep, we're going to make decisions consistent with his word to keep his commandments, and we're going to perform them. We're going to reflect them. So in family relations, in neighborhood relations, in community relations, in civic national relationships, in interactions, how we think in our country like ours where we can vote, how we vote, what we speak in the workplace, what we speak in the college campus, what we speak in our community involvement, our standards that guide us. If we walk in his statutes, keep his commandments, perform them, we, you personally, us as a church, we're going to put ourselves in a place where we're under his blessings. And the principles promised in this text apply to our life. And there's three things he promises them. He promises them provision. He promises them protection. And he promises them most of all, perhaps the greatest of all, his presence. And this is what we want to look at on a personal level. His provision. In verses 4 through 6, it's an agriculture society. We've been talking about the agri-society quite a bit going through Leviticus because it really, they were totally dependent upon the Lord that way. <laughs> there's, there's no supermarkets or there's just, you can't go online and order it from Amazon. You know, you had, you had to raise it, you had to grow it, you had to, or provide a service by which you could negotiate it for it from other people, your neighbors. So he said in verse four, this is a promise to them. And, and this is a reaffirm the New Testament. We'll talk about that. If you obey me, so if we walk in his statutes, keep his commandments, perform them, then I will give you rain in its season. So the rain would be in its season. Think about this for a minute. Everything's right on time, right? Don't you like a paycheck on time? You ever do a job and not get paid on time? Just for the fun of it. Raise your hand if you've ever done a job and you get paid on time. Raise it nice and high so we all realize the company we're in, the majority of you. You did a job and you didn't get paid on time, right? Especially you people that do contractor work. You know, it's like, oh. You did a job and you get paid on time. Wow. There's something nice when you're on a payroll and the check automatically goes into your account on the 1st and the 15th. You got to admit that's a nice thing, right? Boy, when you do independent contractor work, 1099 work, stuff like that, boy, uh, that can be a tough one. Yeah? Or like my mom did real estate for 40 years and it's an escrow and it falls out of escrow two days before it's supposed to close. And it's like, you just never count on it real estate, right? You just can, you can just, you're like this till like it all goes through. God, as our provider, I will give you rain in its season. That means what you need comes in the regular cycle of when it's supposed to come when you need it. In your regular season, the regular pay cycle, the regular billing cycle. I will give you the rain because you're growing stuff and you need the rain. I will give you the rain in its season. Your rain in its season. 
all blessings. You're going to look up. Here comes the cloud. Here comes the rain. Tomatoes are growing. Corn's growing. Everything's growing. Just, I'm going to take care of you. The mango grove, all of it. It's all good. And he says, I'm going to give you the rain in season. Then the land shall yield its produce. So I'm going to give you the rain. It's going to do the, the weather system is going to do what I've designed it to do. And then the ground's going to do what I've designed it to do. And so all the nutrients of the soil, they're going to produce this incredible produce for you. And we do know, we've mentioned this previously in Leviticus, that Israel is one of the world's largest exporters to this day of produce and flowers and things like that to the world. Last time I checked, it was number three in the world, the size of Southern California. That is just crazy. Plus, you consider the Dead Sea and the Judean wilderness is dead, so you can't really grow anything there. So they're working with a stacked hand against them, and they're exporting that amount of produce to the world from Israel. It's a good land. In fact, what did Jesus, what, what did the Father say about the land in the Old Testament? It's the land flowing with milk and honey. It's a good land. He was going to give them vineyards they didn't build and plant. He's going to give them olive groves and all these things they didn't do. He's given to them. He was preparing it for them. And it's the Lord. The earth is the Lord's and everything they're in it. He can give it to who he wants. And he was preparing it for them. He was giving them a great land. And he said, when you get there, I'll give you the rain on, on, this, on the pay cycle. And then I'm gonna, the land is going to do what I've designed it to do. And it's going to yield its crops. You're going to have everything you need. And the trees of the field shall yield their fruit. There it is. We've talked about fruit trees in the past. I talked about growing up in Vista. Vista is a, a great place to grow fruit. There used to be all these old avocado groves in the 30s and the 40s and whatnot. And my dad lived in the Valley of Vista. And there was a time in the late 70s, early 80s, where my dad had just the most incredible fruit trees. I mean, the apricot, the white peach, the, the plum tree was insane. And he, he, he loved it. He, was, you know, he loved to garden. He had a huge garden at like about you know, a fourth of this sanctuary. And he just loved to get out there. And he'd have so much fruit. He'd have by the roadside there on Osborne Street. You know, just come on by and grab it. He was uh, the communal farmer, like, uh, you know, the cool millennials now, before it was cool. Like, he just did it because he comes from, you know, a farming family originally from Wisconsin. Those apricots, they would go in July. And it'd just be, it was crazy. And then the white peaches, about the same time, they were so good. God provided and I watched him do it. I'm glad my dad had all those fruit trees and all the vegetable garden, all that, because I could see this type of things happen. When I used to stay in New Jersey with Denny Barger, my good friend, that we've supported ministry in the Middle East. He's in the States now because there's yeah, everyone had to come home. And he's back in New Jersey. But he had 10 acres in the Pine Barrens of New Jersey, right there by Manahawkin, central New Jersey. And they got this farmhouse. They had like eight kids. They, they grew everything. They had goats. They did 4-H stuff, but they grew everything. And my kids were talking about this recently, how when we stayed with Denny Barger and you ate the table, everything at that table came from what... You know, it's hard to feed a family of eight kids. I mean, I've never tried it. Force kept me busy for the last 30 years. But eight kids, it was a lot. And the ground yielded. In their society, they understood that they have to trust in the Lord from start to finish. The rain, the land, the fruit, the, the trees, everything. It, it's like they were, to, they were totally, we're seeing about trusting the Lord. They were totally dependent upon trusting the Lord. And that's the way it was meant to be. And God has designed our lives through faith in Jesus Christ. And even though we can, you know, we earn a paycheck electronically, gets deposited this way. And then we go here and we use a card. We never see the cash, whatever. And, but it goes there, and then we see it in our account, and we balance the checkbook, and we reconcile at the end of the month. It's the same principle. God's provided us a job, and as we're serving the Lord, we see his handiwork in that. 
from that job, we acknowledge him with our first fruits. Ideally, we trust in the Lord. We recognize his blessing over our lives. Then he's providing for us, and we, we have this. We go to work. We get the compensation. We go to Albertsons, Sprouts, and we get our groceries, and we buy our gasoline. You know, we, do, we do our things. It's the same principle that God is faithful to provide for us. Jesus, when asked how to pray, they said, teach us to pray. And he said, pray in this manner, right? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Eternal perspective right away, his character. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven, like us praying today for our country. Give us this day our daily bread. The New Testament church is designed to be dependent on daily bread. We're designed to be dependent on daily bread. And the guy who built the bigger barns, he says, man, now I can really kick it because I've got a ton of dough in the bank. I've got bigger barns and I can just, you know, kind of say to myself, self, kick back and go well with it, with your life right now. You don't need to do anything. You built the bigger barn, it's all there. And then Jesus said, oh, foolish man, tonight your soul will be required of you. And then who gets your wealth then? See, there's a deceitfulness with riches. The Bible actually uses that term, the deceitful, deceitfulness of riches. Wealth is deceiving. You can have a lot of money, and it can go away really fast. And you say, Joey, where's the money go? Or don't you know? It goes to money heaven. <laughs> Just ask all those people at 2008, 2009, 2000, where'd it go? Money heaven. It just, it just goes to money heaven. It happens all the time. There's a deceitfulness of riches, and there's a tendency within all of us to trust in the wealth. And the more wealth we have, okay, I've got X amount of properties, or I've got X amount of money in the bank, I've got these good stocks. Man, we've got to realize it can be gone like that. Look back to Europe in the 30s. Pretty much had anyone, anyone had wealth, lost their wealth in the 30s in, in Europe. Jewish, non-Jewish. I mean, Europe got destroyed. I mean, the Marshall Plan was to be rebuild Europe after the Germans, the Soviets, and the Americans had obliterated the entire continent to stop the madness of what was World War II and the Third Reich. The Marshall Plan, we're such a benevolent country, we had our best general for that moment, Marshall. He wanted to be a hero during World War II. He was a real hero after World War II with the Marshall Plan, with Truman, and we rebuilt Europe. That's what kind of a country we come from, people, and got them back on track. But can you imagine in Europe, I've watched so many movies on Europe during the 30s, like foreign movies, all kinds of them, Polish, English, French, in French, Russian, lots of them in Russian. It's crazy what they went through. They're still looking for wealth that was redistributed during World War II by the Nazis. It's still unaccounted for. What are you saying, Joy? I'm saying that you and I could lose every penny we have by tomorrow. Hey, you know when the Bolsheviks came to power? During World War I, that's when Russia pulled out of World War I. They were losing anyways. They are poorly prepared for it. But the Bolsheviks came to power, and within one year, all, that, all those people that had wealth for centuries, they lost it. It was gone. That civil war in Russia between the White Army and the Red Army, I mean, man, by, by the late 20s and Stalin's taking everything from the Ukraine and the Ukrainian famine where he killed millions of people, starved them to death. If we were Ukrainian in the late 20s, if we were Germans, Poles, Slavics, Romanians, Bulgarians, well, the Romanians are, you know, they fought with the Germans. Um, just take any people group during World War II and you're a Christian of what happens when all goes bad. 
A.E. Waldersmith, the famous scientist that loved Jesus so much, the British, he married a German woman who came through World War II. And she described that when the Soviet troops came through eastern Germany when they were going to Berlin, because, you know, not all Germans wanted to go to war. I'm, I'm sure most of you know that. There are a lot of Christians that were opposed to it, like Bonhoeffer and these others. But A.E. Waldersmith's wife describes the Soviet troops coming, and they plundered and they raped everybody as they were moving toward Berlin. Everybody, every, every village, everybody. And she describes how her and her friends that were part of the church, that they're in a, a building that when the Soviets came, they were spared and they were not touched. God is our provider, and God is our protector. And we have no idea what the future holds. And we can have the best laid plans imaginable being upper middle class or middle class or lower middle class in California, and it could be gone like that. And we all know there are a lot of people that want to take it right now in power. And I'll say it boldly. They're traitors, and they're trying to destroy this country from within. And they might just take it. But don't let them take your faith in Jesus Christ to be your provider. You've been listening to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Brandt. If you would like more information about the ministry of Worship Generation, visit us online at www.worshipgeneration.com, where you can listen to the podcast of today's entire message. Worship Generation is located at 10350 Ellis Avenue in Fountain Valley, California. Our service times are Saturday evenings at 6 p.m. and Tuesdays at 7 p.m. And also follow Pastor Joey on Instagram under the tag name at Joey Brand. Thanks for listening and God bless. Not ashamed of the gospel. Not ashamed, not ashamed of the one I love. Not ashamed, not ashamed.